Good morning, and welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church, where no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. What a glorious Father's Day Sunday. How nice to have Kelly up here singing with us for the first time in a while. I'm so glad you feel good enough. Um, let me just give a shout out right now. Katie's here today. My wife's here today. I know you've been praying for her. She's right here in this great car looking as gorgeous as ever. Some of y'all haven't really got the chance to meet my wife because she's normally here in the evening service and uh, her surgery and illnesses meant she hasn't been able to be here as much. But if you have seen her, I know what you're thinking and her eyesight is fine. She just don't she don't go for looks, and that's okay. That's okay. She's my wonderful wife. Let me just tell you, I'm happy to have my dad here on Father's Day, on the Father's Day Sunday. Say hey to James, would you? James Shockley. He's a cool guy. And uh, let me just tell you, we do have a celebrity in our midst today. You know, DJ, who we've been praying for, who just came so close to going on being with the Lord that God pulled him through in a miracle. DJ's over in that blue Chevy over there. Say hey to DJ. Yeah, man. Love you, buddy. Love you so much. So glad that you're here today. I mean, talk about, hey, if you don't believe in miracles, go talk to that man in the blue truck. He'll tell you about miracles. Absolutely. What a great day. Father's Day, man. I hope, uh, hope you got some Father's Day plans. I hope you've been blessed enough to have uh, some fathers in your life. Even if not, not everybody has a biological father that steps up to the job. But I hope everybody has somebody who's had a positive fatherly influence in their lives. If you had a good dad or had a good fatherly influence or you know some good dads, today is the day to celebrate them. I'm uh, looking forward to hanging out with my kids later and seeing my dad. My father-in-law's here too. Where you at, Bill? Katie's dad's here. Say hey to Bill, y'all. Katie's dad's here. And uh, later I hear there's going to be pork chops. No, you're not invited. Love y'all, but you're going to have to eat at your house today because <laughs> those are my, those are my, I love you, Billy. I will think of you as I eat the pork chop and think how much you would have enjoyed it. And we moved, Billy. We moved. We live somewhere else now. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We have some Father's Day plans. Maybe we'll hang out and watch a movie or something. Um, love being a dad. That's my favorite thing besides being a child of God. These are my kids. Some people don't know that the band who was playing up here, um, minus uh, uh, Grace and Kelly, all the instrumentalists back here are my children who get their talent from their mom mostly. I'm just the guy who says you got to I'm just a guy who rolls them out of bed on Sunday mornings to come play. They really got their talent from their mom. Um, I don't know what we'll do today. Maybe we'll hang out, watch some movies or something. Told you I'm not that big of a TV watcher. If I'm home and I'm not hanging out with the kids, playing games with the kids, or, you know, it's been nice lately to walk through the garden with Katie, um, I'm usually studying or writing or something. I don't watch a lot of TV. However, there are, some, there are some exceptions of things I like. I do like watching Bob Ross, right? Y'all know Bob Ross? Hey, everybody needs some happy little trees in their lives. We can watch Bob Ross. That's always fun. I'm always down for some Star Wars. Even, I even like the Disney sequels. They're not as good. Straight up, they're not as good. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. But I'll even watch them, okay? Um, always down for some cooking shows. Love some cooking shows. 
And I like superhero movies. We haven't watched many of those in a while. We need to catch up on, we need to finish WandaVision, Katie. We need to finish that. Maybe we do that. We need to finish that show. But um, I do like the superhero movies. I kind of like the concept of, of the good guy saving the day. The title for this series of messages we are in is inspired, in part, by some superhero movies. Endgame. Endgame is the name of the series. And we are talking about the, the story of how God is going to bring this world as we know it to an end and create a new and better world. It's the, the end game. But in the, in the movies, in the Marvel Avengers movies, the end game is set up when the bad guy gets his hands on this powerful object that gives him the ability to make anything happen at the snap of his fingers. And because he's a bad guy, he does something evil. The bad guy snaps his fingers, and half of all living things just turn to dust and disappear. That's a terrible, villainous thing to do. Now, some of you may not have seen the movie, may have no interest in seeing the movie, and that's, that's fine. But just to bring you up to speed on what I'm trying to explain here, in the movie, the bad guy has the power to snap his fingers and just make people disappear. Okay? We, there so far? Bad guy snaps his fingers, people disappear. Evil thing to do. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take that idea, that concept, and turn it completely on its head. All right? So people are disappearing, but it wasn't the bad guy who snapped his fingers and made people disappear. It's the good guy. You with me so far? So we're turning that upside down. And instead of the snap making people disappear and, and sends them to death, it brings them to life. All right? And in this concept, turning it upside down from the movie story, that snap, that instant happening that makes people disappear is a good thing for the people who disappear. They're taken someplace good. I know that sounds weird, and it is. But that is not such a bad way to think of one of the most amazing events, one of the most amazing prophecies in the whole Bible, one of the most controversial prophecies in the whole Bible, we know it by the name of the rapture. Maybe you've heard that term, the rapture. Although uh, it's also called other things. It's called the blessed hope of the believers in Titus chapter 2, verses uh, 11 and 12. It is this crazy event where people will disappear. What a wild concept. Uh, as strange as it, is, as it sounds, you know, the day is coming when believers will be snatched away in the twinkling of an eye, in a, gone in a snap. That's the title of the message. If you're into message titles as you're writing down those notes, right at the top, gone in a snap. That'll help you remember this. This is about being gone in a snap. The, the name it's most commonly known by is the rapture. When I was a new believer... The rapture was like a hot topic, okay? There were lots of speculation on it. And, and of course, it spawned some best-selling books, the Left Behind books. You remember those? And there were a couple of those movies. The first couple were with Kirk Cameron, and for some reason they thought they would remake it with Nicolas Cage, and it wasn't really better. But even before that, they were making, uh, making some movies, some lower-budget movies and stuff about the rapture, and some of them were wild uh, one of them had Gary Busey. You know anything with Gary Busey and his weird. And one with Howie Mandel when he had hair. 
Like, people don't even remember how he did. Mandel had hair at one time. He was just 100% as weird. And I remember um, in youth group, we would watch some of these kind of weird, crazy movies. Where's Jenny at? Jenny, okay, I can see you down there. You remember those weird movies we used to watch in youth group? Yeah, some of them were weird. It's like, and some of them, <laughs> the intent was to show something theological, I guess. And it almost got there. And you can go way back to the 70s. Um, some folks might remember, oh, what was that, Thief in the Night? That first movie, that was, that's going way back. Lots of movies have been made about this, and some of them kind of good and some of them not. You know, a lot of novels, some of them are kind of accurate, some of them not. But let me, just, let me just throw this out there for you. Do not base what you believe on a novel or a movie. I don't care how good it is. If you are going to believe something that might affect your life and your eternity, you better base it on some better information than somebody's creative work of fiction, even if the fiction is based on the word. Man, call me old school, and that's all right. But I think the best source of information for spiritual things, the only real source of information is the B-I-B-L-E. That's a book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. We got to have it. We need to know what the Bible says about it. It's very interesting being the pastor of Recreate Church. You see, we are a church made up of people of every conceivable spiritual background, y'all. We, we have got folks, so have you, I don't know if y'all really put this together, but close to half of our church are people who didn't grow up here, all right? People who grew up somewhere else and got here as quick as you could, you know, and we're glad you did. But we have folks from all different kinds of church backgrounds. We have folks from no church background at all. We, we have folks, because these messages go out over the internet in the podcast and on, on YouTube, these messages go over the world to people who might be coming from places spiritual that we don't even, we've never even heard of. And we have people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. We have people who've been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time. And then we have folks who are still making up their mind. And no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted. And you are loved. Come on, hang out. Even if you don't believe anything we believe, come on and hang out with us. But fair warning, we do think this Jesus stuff will rub off on you eventually if you hang out with us enough. So we're unapologetically, want, we want you to know and love Jesus. If you knew about Jesus, what we know about Jesus, you wouldn't blame us for wanting uh, to spread the Jesus bug all over the world. But <laughs> because we have such a diverse church, I can never assume that we're on the same page about anything. I can't just assume that when I say rapture, anybody knows what that means or understand it in the same way. So especially with a topic like this that is so complex and there's so many different opinions on and even controversial is a fair word to use about it, I, I just want to lay out what the Scripture says. How about that? You want to study the Bible today? Anybody down for learning a little something from the Word of God today? All right. Let's just do that, all right? There are two primary passages that deal with the rapture of the church. They are 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, and that's where we're going to be today. And I just want to read those and study those out. As we read them, there is a word you won't see, unless it's in the little heading. You won't actually see the word rapture. And you might be wondering, well, what's that about? I'll tell you why. Okay, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and when the Greek word for the Greek word for the rapture is is harpazo, it means to be snatched away, to be caught away, kind of like you're just plucking something away. All right, 
When it was translated into Latin, harpazo become, became rapio, means the same thing, to be snatched away. And then when it was taken from Latin to English, they made rapio rapture. So it means the same thing, but you won't see it in your New Testament because they just translated the Greek straight to the English, so it became translated as what it literally is, to be snatched away, to be caught away. So if you're reading about the rapture, it'll say the believers were, were caught away or snatched away. So before we talk about this, I want to make it very plain. I don't take this stuff lightly, y'all. A lot of the end times teaching has been used to manipulate people. I am not interested in doing that. I'm not interested in manipulating or scaring anybody today, but I just want to lay out the plain facts because I won't be doing my job if I don't tell you what's coming. And I want everyone to have a fair chance to make choices that lead to a good experience in eternity. You know, if these things are coming, I want you to know about it. Here's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I will read this for us, and then I will pray. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. By the way, fallen asleep here is talking about mortal death. It's not talking about drifting off during the sermon because it's a hot day and the preacher keeps on going. It's talking about passing away, physical death. Um, don't want you to be concerned, those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. What did I say that meant? Raptured. Caught up. Raptured. Same thing. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Father in heaven, there is comfort in knowing that the day is coming when you are coming back for us and we will meet Jesus in the air. And I just pray you help us to have a good understanding of what all this means. It's complicated, Lord, and we, we want to know what we believe and why we believe it. So I pray you will reveal it all to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, he's the writer of this, and he's explaining it to the believers in a city called Thessalonica. That's why it's called the book of the Thessalonians. It was originally written as a letter to the believers, the Thessalonian believers. And he says, I don't want you to be worried about those who've fallen asleep. Again, that is talking about mortal death. He, he says, um, well, the problem was the believers there in that church had heard that Jesus was going to come back and take them to heaven, but they were worried. What about our brothers and sisters in Christ who've already passed away? What's going to happen to them? And Paul says, don't worry about them. God's going to raise them as well. The dead in Christ will rise. So the, the day is coming here when um, Jesus is going to appear in the air. It's just a plain teaching of the Scriptures. This isn't me being dramatic. He's going to appear in the air, and he's going to call the believers up. And that includes the believers who have died. Now, to be very plain, when a person, a believer, passes away, their spirit goes to be with the Lord. We know from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I believe in the moment you're done, you're going to be with the Lord. But your body hangs out here. And the day is coming when God will resurrect the bodies that are left behind. And 
raise them and reconstitute them to a perfect state, whatever had damaged or destroyed that body where the injury or disease, all of that will be reversed and it will be perfected. If you really want to win some points and you're here with someone you love, just look at them and say, it looks like God has already perfected you. I want to say that to this lady in pink in the gray car. My sweet wife, it looks like God has already perfected you and giving you that perfect. Anyway, I, I see very few of you are availing yourselves of this opportunity. I just gave you to win some points with the people you love. You already look perfect, sweetheart. That's, anyway, that's going to happen. So then those who are alive at the time will be raised to life, raised to meet Jesus in the air, and from there taken on to heaven. The, the, the word here for caught up is the one that will eventually made it into English as the word rapture. And uh, we read here that the day is coming when God is going to catch up the believers and take them to heaven. Now that sounds kind of wild, doesn't it? That sounds amazing, but it's really very straightforward. I know it sounds odd, but the scripture is just very plain here. The scriptures tell us there's a day coming when Jesus will appear in the clouds. There'll be the blast of a trumpet, and the graves will be opened, and the dead in Christ will rise, and then the people who are alive will be taken to heaven, and it'll all happen really quickly. But did you catch the detail there? If you're alive at the time, and you're a believer, you'll be taken to heaven without ever dying. That sounds pretty cool to me. Going to heaven without ever having to die? Well, is there even a precedent for that? Are you just making stuff up, Pastor? Stuff like that don't happen. Let me tell you, stuff like that does happen. Remember a man named Elijah? Last year when we started our outdoor services, we did a series on Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. And maybe you remember how Elijah made his way to heaven. He never died. God took him to heaven in a whirlwind with chariots and horses of fire. And that wasn't the first time. Thousands of years before Elijah was taken to heaven alive. Another man named Enoch, who was exceptionally righteous, God took him to heaven alive. So there's two guys sitting up there right now who never died. In all of history, only two people have never died, Elijah and Enoch. But there'll be a lot more added to that list come the rapture because they'll be taken to heaven alive. Paul tells the believers in this church, this is a source of comfort. He said, comfort yourself Comfort one another with these words because no matter how bad life on earth gets, no matter how tough it gets, we have the promise that Jesus is going to come back for us and we will be with him. Now, he might come for us in mortal death and take our spirits to be with him and then our bodies will catch up later, but some folks will actually get to go to heaven alive without ever having tasted the bitterness of death. That is Amazing. That's the event we call the rapture. So I want to read that other passage and get some more insight. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verses, verse 51. That's a really long passage if you're looking that up in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. The Apostle Paul is now writing to a different group of believers, the church in the city of Corinth. And he says, listen how similar the language is, right? Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. Now, what did I tell you? Sleep is a euphemism for mortal death, all right? We're not all going to die a mortal death. He said, behold, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. 
in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Wait, we've heard the trumpet before, right? Wasn't that in the other passage? Yes, it was. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible. Wait, we've heard that before, too. Here it is. Again, this is consistent messaging. The the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed, meaning the living believers. Here we go again, very consistent. For the corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The strength of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Mm. Mm. That's good stuff. That just makes you go, mm. Anybody else? Just me. Just me. Just me and Billy. Just me and Billy. That's all right. The rest of y'all will catch up in just a minute. That's such good stuff. We see a very consistent line of thought here. We see the trumpet blast. We see the dead raising. We see the living being taken to heaven and changed. So this isn't, the idea of the rapture isn't something cherry-picked from one passage. It's something that's there. It's, it's not wishful thinking. It's very clear, and it fits in with the bigger context. We see the, the same elements. We see the promise that not all will die or sleep as the euphemism is used. We see some will be raised alive. We're told there'll be this instantaneous twinkling of an eye, transition to heaven, gone in a snap. We read about the trumpet blast and the dead being raised. It's there. And we see this uh, awkwardly awkwardly worded phrasing about, about uh, the incorruptible inc- <laughs> becoming incorruptible. And I remember reading that when I was a new Christian, and it was a real tongue twister for me. But basically what it means is, when our bodies are raised, they will no longer be subject to corruption. Our bodies are corruptible now, because we can be sick. We can be injured. Our bodies are are not impervious to the things that can happen to them. They are going to wear out. Even if we take really good care of our health, which a lot of us are not, including me probably, uh, it's eventually going to break down. In short, we are mortal, and it becomes increasingly more undeniable that we are mortal as time goes by. This week at work, I, I work a regular job um, in addition to being pastor. I was driving fence posts in the ground with a sledgehammer, okay? You know what I... Remembered the next day when I got up, my shoulders reminded me I am mortal and I ain't as young as I used to be. All right. Does anybody else wake up in the morning with some reminders of your mortality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wake up in the morning and say, man, remember all those sports I played back when I was young and cool? <sighs> Maybe I ought not have done that. I I got bone spurs in my right foot from playing football, basketball, and baseball, and any other sport I could talk anyone into playing with me. And you know what? I loved every minute of it, but I wake up every morning with my foot throbbing to remind me I am not nearly what I used to be, and there are injuries, and I am quite, quite mortal. Let me tell you, I was never a sports hero, but I put forth a heroic effort. Don't you think, DJ? I put forth effort, all right? That's my quarterback over there. That's my quarterback. We played a lot of football together back in the day, all over the place. And uh, let me tell you, hey, 
be careful now, those who hasn't hit you yet. One day, you are young and hip and cool and a baller. And the next day you wake up and you sneeze and you have thrown your back out. You used to hurt yourself doing cool stuff. Now you hurt yourself rolling over in bed. It happens to the best of us, all right? It happens. So don't laugh if you ain't there yet, young people everywhere. It does happen. We are mortal. Our bodies have a way of reminding us that we are mortal And this body does not live forever unless we're there for the rapture. Hey, and even if we're not there for that, we're going to be raised if you're a child of God. And that body will be remade no longer mortal. So it's encouraging the promise here. Death is swallowed up in victory. I like the sound of that. Death don't get the victory. Look at somebody and tell them, death don't get the victory. Hey, my brother, DJ, death don't get the victory, does it? Jesus gets the victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. There's victory in Jesus. You don't have to be scared of death. He's the master over death. He's defeated death. He died in our place. He's the one. He's dealt with death. The worst thing death can do is send us on to heaven. And then our body will catch up. Death has been defeated You see, in the rapture of the church, we see death being defeated, overcome. A whole generation of believers who will be raised and death will never, ever touch them. Maybe we'll get to be a part of that. I don't know. We don't know about that, but we know somebody will. Death will be defeated. In that movie that I referenced at the beginning, all right, the bad guy snaps his fingers and then life disappears. Life is ended. The day is coming, I don't know if God's going to snap his fingers, but it's going to be as quick as that, in the twinkling of an eye, at the blast of a trumpet. People are going to disappear, but not to death, but to life. They will be gone to heaven with him. The dead in Christ will rise, mortality will be replaced by immortality, and those who are alive at the time will be taken to heaven without ever tasting death. Death doesn't get the victory. Victory is in Jesus. So the only wise thing to do is trust in him. That's kind of the point of all this. If we know that there's an ending to this story, and we know that we get to have the good ending to the story, if we trust in Jesus, then it's a no-brainer for me. You see, um, you know, my kids play video games, and now there's multiple endings in video games. I, I don't know if y'all know that. Like, it's not just one ending. It's ending if you make different choices. Well, if you choose Jesus, the ending's good. I don't know what's going to happen before the end, but the ending is good if you choose Jesus. That's the good version of the end. So Paul finishes up with some encouragement, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Sometimes it feels like we're working for a lost cause, but there is a blessing coming and we might escape death all together. You know what that does to me, Billy Hennecutt? That sends a spirit of Ric Flair up all over me. Woo! Yeah, it's coming, y'all. It's coming. So with such a big prophecy as this, you know there's going to be some big, big questions, right? I knew this was going to be controversial, and I haven't gotten much controversy yet. Somebody told me last week, so I don't see the controversy in that. And what I tell you, Kelly, I said, it's because you agree with me. There's a lot of people who don't agree with me. 
And uh, that's when it gets controversial, all right? Uh, it's all, nothing's controversial until someone else disagrees. But uh, well, what, we might ask, well, what's it going to look like from an earthly perspective? Well, the books and the movies kind of just show them being gone and their clothes left behind. Have y'all seen that in the movies and stuff? Their clothes, there was this one, one movie um, where like the clothes were neatly folded and I could not find that, all right? Um, Jenny, wherever you're at in the back row back there, um, I don't know what movie that was. Which one had folded clothes? It, there was one. I couldn't find it. I looked all over. Was the left behind where they folded up in that one? I don't know. And sometimes they were left behind. You know, the, the clothes were behind, and they're neatly folded with the glasses placed on top and the hearing aids and, like, if they had, like, any sort of medical implant. I don't know if their tooth fillings were left behind. You know, like anything that wasn't flesh and bone. I don't know. Is it really going to be like that? I don't know. The scriptures doesn't say anything like that. That's an artistic interpretation. And let me just say, I don't think it'll matter too much. I don't think it'll matter at all. Um, God's going to take care of that. That's probably not something to worry about or fight over. I heard one man say about the rapture, say, well, when I see y'all Christians rising up there, I'm going to catch a hold of your ankle. I'm going to just go on up with you. Well, <laughs> that's that's. Okay, that's a plan. It's not a good one, but it is a plan. All right? You got a plan, just, just a bad plan. Yeah, it's going to be so fast. We're talking in the, in the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye, all right? A- ain't gone in a snap. There, there won't be any chance, okay, for that. <clears throat> um, it's going to be faster than the, the, the guy people turned to dust in the Avengers movie. They'll be so fast you can't do anything about it. Um, the sudden disappearance of millions of people will undoubtedly cause chaos. I mean, suddenly there will be cars without drivers and planes without pilots and people whose family members are missing. It's going to be crazy, and it's going to be traumatic for anyone left behind. How traumatic would it be? You wake up, and suddenly people who you care about are just gone. And that'll happen. And maybe the most difficult thing will be is there will be a lot of people who pretty quickly realize what has happened. It's like, oh my goodness, this is what they said was going to happen. And boom, they're gone. So I got to believe that in the few minutes after the rapture, there will be a lot of people who have a spiritual awakening moment. It will be a literal come to Jesus moment right then because they'll be like, oh my goodness, they were right all along and I need to be a believer now. So I think there'll be a lot of people turn to Jesus right after that. There'll be a couple of minutes of confusion maybe, but then the roll will be called up yonder, and a lot of people are going to get on that roll. It's going to be quite something. So maybe the biggest question of all is, when will this happen? When's it take place? And like all these other end times events, Jesus told us no one knows the day, no one knows the hour. Why don't we get to know the day and get to know the hour? What, have you ever been around a human being? If we got a deadline, what are we going to do? All right? Everybody but Sandy's going to wait. Sandy will get it done two months early. All the rest of us will be waiting to the last minute. Because I'm the guy who had uh, papers to turn in in fourth period, and I wrote them in third period. And uh, could have done a lot better in school, but I didn't because I, there's this little thing called effort. It wasn't A's, B's, and C's that gave me trouble. It was an E for effort. So now I'm really hard on my kids because I know what laziness looks like because I saw it in the mirror for a long time when I was in school. So they can't get away with that now. Um, hey, I got my act together once I got in college 
and I got my butt kicked the first semester of college. After that, I never made any bad grades ever again, okay? Never again. I put forth my effort at that point. But we're not told when it's going to happen. It would not be good for us to know when it's going to happen. So anybody who says, I know when the rapture is going to happen, I know when the Lord's going to come back, they don't know. And lots of people have been embarrassed through, through the years by claiming to know when it's going to happen because I'm not going to say I know anything that Jesus said I don't get to know. I'm just going to agree with Jesus. When it comes down to it, I'm going to agree with the guy who predicted his death and his resurrection and then pulled it off. I agree with that guy. Put me on his team. I'll be on team Jesus, all right? I I think he can be trusted. So here's what we can know. Maybe we don't know when, but we know when in relation to the other end time events. I think we can have a pretty good idea that in relation to events like the tribulation, we can know where the rapture falls in relation to that. I know the books and the movies make it look like the the rapture is the thing that starts the tribulation period. If you're not familiar with that term, the tribulation period is the seven-year period of judgment that will be poured out on the earth. That's what the book of Revelation is mostly about, okay? That describes the tribulation period, and it's pretty rough stuff if you've ever read Revelation. It's, uh, whoo, you don't want to be around for that. Promise you, you don't want to be around. But I got some good news when it comes along those lines. The rapture is not the event that begins the tribulation. That is actually something else that, Lord willing, we will cover several weeks from now. Some people say, well, when does the rapture come? Some people say it's in the middle of the tribulation period or maybe even at the end of the tribulation period. But I just got to be honest. If somebody pulls me out of my house after it's already burned down, I don't feel very rescued. (laughs) I'd like to be pulled out before the fire even starts, okay? I think there is some very good reason to believe that the rapture of the church happens before the tribulation period. And I I studied this out at length, y'all. I do not take this subject lightly, okay? Because a lot of people disagree with me. And the good thing about people disagreeing with you is you'll go back and you'll do your homework and you'll figure out why you believe what you believe. Everybody needs to do that. You need to know why, not just what you believe, but why you believe it. So that made me do my homework. Um... I believe with all my heart it's going to happen before the tribulation. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But let me just say, when the Antichrist is trying to do his work on earth, he'll wish the Lord took me out before the tribulation started because I'm going to make some trouble for him. Anyway, that's another message for another time. So this is the part of the message that's a little more controversial. If anyone's going to give me some pushback, it'll be here about the timing of the rapture. And some folks say, well, it's not a literal event, Pastor. It's just symbolic. Well, man, symbolism is fun and all that, but symbolically removing me from the world before judgment is probably not going to be very practically useful, okay? All right? So I'm symbolically removing you from this fire. Okay, okay. it's pretty hot in here, though. Can we... Can you literally remove me from it, please? That would be a lot better. Uh, Here's some reasons. All right. I did a study, and I think I've come up with 13 specific reasons why we can believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I'm not going to give you a list of 13 things today because you need to go do your stuff today. But here's what I will do. I'll give you three really good ones. Three really, really good ones. And if you want the other 10, you let me know, and I'll get you the full list. Okay? Deal? deal. Well, whether it's a deal or not, that's what you're getting. So (laughs) take it or leave it. That's what you're getting. So here's three. Reason number one, I believe the rapture happens before the tribulation is this. The book of Revelation never mentions the church in the chapters 
dealing with the tribulation itself. Never once is the church mentioned from about somewhere in chapter 4 to on up to almost the very end. All those chapters that deal with the tribulation, the church is never mentioned. But here's what is mentioned. Go and read um, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see some very familiar terminology here. John, the Apostle John, is the one who received this vision. And get this. John says, he hears a trumpet. Does that sound familiar? He hears a voice calling him up. Does that sound familiar? And suddenly, he's in heaven. All of that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? So maybe the rapture is in the book of Revelation there in verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 4. Pretty much identical language. And right after that event, where John hears a trumpet and he's called up and he's instantly in heaven, after that, after this first little bit of that chapter, you don't hear about the church anymore until the end. Because the church, I think, is with John in heaven. All right? They're not on earth. So that's my reason number one. Reason number two, this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You'll need to mark this down and go read it because I'm not going to read it all to you today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 8 describes the tribulation. But then verse 9 specifically said, For God does not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that those who trust in him will never have to face the wrath of God. Now we might face the wrath of man and we might face the wrath of the elements of planet earth, but we will not face the wrath of God. And it is evident from the scriptures that the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth in the tribulation period. And if you're here for that, you're going to get hit with the splatter damage at the very least. So I don't think we can be here at that time and this passage be true. All right, reason number three, and this one's just very easy, practical. God has set a precedent of removing his people out of the way before he pours out his judgment. Remember the story of the flood in the Old Testament? Everybody knows the flood. Even folks who've never read the Bible, never been to Sunday school, know the story of the flood and Noah and the ark. God was going to flood the whole earth. There was only one family that still believed in him and trusted him. And he put them on a great big boat, and they made it through, delivered from judgment. (coughs) When God was going to destroy the wicked city of Sodom, He sent his angels in to get Lot and his family, which was the one family who believed. Brought them out of there. When God was going to destroy the city of Jericho, that's the one where the walls fell down. When the walls of Jericho fell down and the city was overrun, before that happened, God sent people inside to get Rahab and her family out before the judgment fell. There might be other examples that I cannot recall, but God has set a precedent of pulling his people out of the way before his judgment falls. And I think he's going to be consistent. And we have a lot of reason to believe he's going to do that here. There are more promises. I told you I got 10 other reasons. If you want to know the other 10 of the 13 reasons why, I'll gladly share those. We're going to save those for another time because some of y'all got some Father's Day's dinner to to uh, eat, and I got some pork chops calling my name, but seriously, those are the three biggest ones, and I think those three are enough, even if I didn't give you the other ten, but I will just get in touch. They all point to God pulling people out of the world prior to the tribulation. I didn't say just before, because we don't know how long before, but prior to anyway. So the rapture is this event wherein believers will be caught up, caught away to meet Jesus in the air, 
in the twinkling of an eye, in the snap of fingers, so to speak, the dead in Christ will rise. All those who are alive will be taken to heaven without ever tasting death. That is encouraging news. Now, for those who are left behind, oh, man. Oh, man. It's going to be pretty terrible. People just disappearing. I just want you to know, there's a question guiding our study of the end times that's guiding us through the, the, the end game here. And it is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. And that is the, that is the jumping off point for this series. I'm, a, I'm paraphrasing the Apostle Peter here. He says, knowing that all these things will be dissolved, knowing that this whole world will someday come to an end, how should we live? Don't live for this world, live for God does not make sense to live for a world that's on its way out. So all of this end time stuff is interesting, but if it doesn't change the way you live, then it's just like watching a documentary, basically. It's entertainment, interesting, and you can have something to talk about around certain people, but if it doesn't actually change the way you live your life, what good is it? If you really believe in Jesus, and you believe this world is going to come to an end, it should change the way you live your life. It should change your priorities. It should change your values. It should change the way you treat people. All right? Because you're going to leave here, and you're going to go to places, restaurants, and stores, and you're going to celebrate Father's Day. You're going to do whatever you do, and you're going to see people. How you treat those people says more about what you really believe than anything you claim while you're listening to this message. It should change the way you treat people. And as I've said time and again, if you're going to represent Jesus, you're going to represent uh, this church, you better treat people good because that's what we're about. Treat people the best you can. You can't do everything for everybody, but you need to at least be respectful and do what you can. In the most practical sense, if we believe what the, rapture said, what the Bible says about the rapture is true, then we need to be prepared for it. And the only way to be prepared is to trust in Jesus. That's it. That's the way you get to be a part of the good ending. You don't want to miss out on it, folks. Not when it means deliverance over destruction. Lord willing, we're going to continue this message on. As, as time goes by, there's still quite a bit more. Somewhere along the way, we're going to talk about the tribulation. We're going to talk about the Antichrist. We're going to talk about how it all ends and, and the sweet by and by and all of that. All right? If you need to catch up on these messages, you missed any, you can go to recreatechurch.org and you can find the messages there. By the way, no evening service this evening where it's Father's Day. No discipleship meeting this evening. Hopefully we'll get that back on track pretty soon. I'm so glad to have you guys as a part of this. I want to pray for us and wrap it up and send you on your way. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the promise that you are coming back for us. Thank you for the promise that there will be rescue from this world. Uh, Lord, we know you're doing all things in your time, but we cannot deny we look forward to the day when you take us to be with you. On this Father's Day, Lord, we pray you will bless all the good dads out there, all the men who were fathers when they didn't have to be, fathers to kids who weren't theirs. I pray and ask that you will bless all the men out there who have been a fatherly influence to people, whether in a church context or in some other capacity. Lord, bless all those dads and help, help me to be a good dad to my kids. 
Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the promises of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day, y'all. Let me just remind you of this. Whatever kind of father you got on earth, you got a father in heaven that loves you more than anything and is ready to go to the ends of the earth and the end of the world for you, that he might be with you. I hope you have a wonderful, blessed day. Lord willing, we'll see you back next week, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. every Sunday. Sometime next month, we'll be back inside for the morning services, but we'll leave the evening services outdoors for now, just in case some folks have some some health concerns and they're worried about exposure and have to be careful. We will have it then, and uh, we may be all the way inside when the weather starts to get cold, because I don't like freezing or frying any better than y'all do. God bless you all. Hope you have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time.